0: If you would, remain standing and open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. That's Hebrews chapter 10. We'll begin reading in verse 1. This is a longer text, so if you need to sit down at any point, you can. But let's read together in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never By the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness for these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... Up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Please be seated. As long as I can remember, our family has gathered together on Christmas Eve. I have pictures going back of me and my older brother sitting with my great great grandmother. We would sit around the Christmas tree every Christmas Eve and listen to my great-grandfather read the Christmas story. As years went by, that privilege passed on to my grandfather, and now that privilege belongs to my father. It was a tradition that I truly cherished, and I pray that will continue in our family for generations to come. I know some of you have a similar tradition, or you may visit the church for Christmas Eve or attend a candlelight service, some of you spend the month of December celebrating the Advent, and I believe there's nothing wrong with taking time out during the year to acknowledge and celebrate the incarnation of our Lord and Savior. We could stand up here during the month of December and preach sermons on Mary and Joseph, or angels, or shepherds in the field, or a babe in a manger, and there'd be nothing wrong with that. But today, I want us to focus on the reason that the Son of God put on flesh. Because without looking at that, we miss out on the beauty, and the awe, and the glory, and the fullness of God's promises to his people. It would be easy at this time of year to think of Christ as that helpless babe in the manger and forget why it is that Christ came. From Genesis to today, man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us here has rebelled in our thoughts and our words and our deed. And this sin separates us from God. In the garden, God gave us a standard, and that standard is perfection. And each one of us has failed to meet that standard. And the rightful punishment for that is death. But God, in all of his wisdom, and all of his glory, and all of his grace and mercy, provided a way for us to be reconciled to himself. As we've gone through this series, we've seen the promise of a coming Messiah all the way back in Genesis 3. Just after Adam and Eve sinned, we saw the promise of a perfect lamb to come in Exodus with the Passover. We saw the promise in Isaiah 53 that one would come that would be despised and rejected by men. He would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, he would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And that peace would be brought about through his own wounds. In Isaiah, it says that man shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We've looked at the birth of Jesus and seen that as the fulfillment of the the promises that we've looked at. We saw a holy God take on flesh. We've looked at his life, his death, his resurrection. And we've looked at the promise of Christ's return. So today, we're going to focus on what that actually means to us as believers. So it's just a quick reminder as we, as we go through this text in Hebrews. Hebrews was written during the first century. It was written to Jewish believers during a time of persecution. It, it contained encouragement and warnings to remain faithful, to love one another, to hold to sound doctrine. The overall theme of the book points to Christ being the better thing, being the greater thing. He was greater than the angels. He was greater than Adam, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses. He was a greater high priest, and he was a greater sacrifice. The book centers on Christ's work being once and for all a work that is completed and finished. No more work is needed. So read with me as we, as we look at Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect to those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The text we're looking at today contrasts the Old Covenant sacrificial system with the completed work of Christ. It looks at the effectiveness of the Old Testament sacrifices. To give you an idea of of the sacrifices we're talking about, probably the most important sacrifice to the Jewish people was the Day of Atonement. It's still celebrated today. Yom, I'm going to say it wrong. Yom Kippur. It started with Aaron being high priest. And it went like this. Aaron would have to wash his body, cleanse himself physically before he could even enter the tabernacle. He would sacrifice a bull and sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant as a sin offering for himself and his family first. He would then take two goats, one to be sacrificed as a substitute for God's people because of their sin, and the other they called the scapegoat. The priest would place his hands on this scapegoat and make a confession of sin for God's people, and then that goat would be released to carry their sin off into the wild. This sacrifice was done every single year. And that's just one of the sacrifices in this system. You had burnt offerings, grain offerings, sin offerings, peace offerings, thanks offerings, and free will offerings. And I'm sure I missed some. Now the Old Testament system pointed to man's issue with sin. It recognized the need for blood to cover the sins of man. But as it says in Hebrews, it was just a shadow of the things to come. And this isn't the only place we see it. We can can go back all the way to creation. When Adam and Eve sinned, the very first thing that happened is an animal had to be killed to cover their nakedness. But even with all these sacrifices happening daily, monthly, weekly, yearly, man was never justified, never fully justified before the Lord. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Paul writes, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. So according to Paul, we can look back at these sacrifices we can look back at this time and see that sacrifices worked to hold back the wrath of God for a time. And this was only through the grace of God. Much like forgiveness now, only through the grace of God. So these sacrifices were repeated over and over and over and again. And sin still separated us from God. If these, shadow, or if these sacrifices were just a mere shadow of what was to come, the writer of Hebrews points us to the better sacrifice by comparing the old covenant with its constant sacrifices to a new covenant in the blood of Christ. If we keep reading in our text in verse five, we read consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, "Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings." You, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, as these were offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offerings of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So the writer of Hebrews points out the inadequacy of the sacrifices being performed by the high priests when you compare it to the sacrifice that Jesus made. We have a short exposition here that actually comes from Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, in which the writer puts Jesus in the role of the psalmist. So he takes these verses out of their historical context and puts them in their typological context. So Psalm chapter 40, verse 6 through 8 says, In sacrifices and offerings you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear, burnt offering, and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I will delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. So the writer here slightly modifies Psalms to put it in the words of Christ. When he said, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. So through the completed work of Christ, there is no more need for continual sacrifices. As one theologian put it, once you have found the object that makes the shadow, you no longer desire or need the shadow itself. If we keep reading in verse 11 of our text, we'll see the full distinction between the sacrifices of the Old Covenant and the single sacrifice that established the New Covenant. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no longer. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin we see a comparison of all the high priests that came before Christ and Christ himself as the greater high priest. The high priests of the old covenant were required to stand daily at their work because those sacrifices could never finally deal with sin. But Christ, having offered a single sacrifice for all time, now sits at the right hand of God, waiting for the time when his enemies should be made a footstool. We see this comparison of the old covenant that could never permanently and finally make atonement for sin and the new covenant in the blood of Christ. We have a body provided by the Father, a sacrifice that perfectly and completely kept the will of God, a sacrifice that fulfilled the law in every way possible, a sacrifice that does away with all other sacrifices, And it was a willing sacrifice. We see what all the other sacrifices prior to Christ could never do. It justifies sinners before God. There's two fancy words that we use when we talk about justification. One is expiation, and the other is propitiation. Expiation has to do with the removal of sin the removal of guilt through a payment or a penalty being paid. Expiation is something that happens to us through Christ, whereas propitiation is, appeasing, is the appeasing of God's wrath. That's something that happens for us. Now, the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to these ideas. But they were only a picture of the things to come. They were temporary in nature, which is why they had to be repeated over and over again. But with the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ, both of these ideas are perfectly completed. The new covenant, while being new, wasn't actually new. We can go back Actually, the writer of Hebrews points us back to Jeremiah 31, where this new covenant is promised. In Jeremiah 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So we see all the way back thousands of years before, this is the promised covenant that God made with his people. And it's dependent on only one thing. It's not dependent on people keeping the law. It's not dependent on making sacrifices. It's God himself who makes the covenant. It's God himself who writes his laws on our heart. And it's God himself that brings about our ability to be obedient. With the old covenant, no one could say that I am going to have the ability to no longer sin or that God doesn't remember my sin anymore. It's only with the perfect expiation and propitiation, the perfect forgiveness of sins and the appeasing of God's wrath through the completed work of Christ that we can hold on to these promises. So with this beautiful reminder that we get in Hebrews of the completed work of Christ, the writer goes on to exhort his readers. So let's continue reading in verse 19 of our text. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So with this reference to holy places, we're taken back again to the old covenant. We're taken back to the tabernacle where you had a portion of it set aside called the holy of holies. Only a priest, only the high priest could enter in and only one time a year. anyone besides the high priest even attempted to enter the Holy of Holies, they would die. This most holy portion of the tabernacle represented being actually in the presence of God. With Christ's once-for-all sacrifice, we see now that we can not only enter the presence of God, but that we can do it with confidence. Not confidence in our own righteousness, or confidence in our own work, but confidence that Christ and Christ alone has made it possible because we have a high priest in Christ. If you turn back just a little bit to chapter 7 of Hebrews, we get a picture of Christ as the high priest. It'll be chapter 7, verses 25 through 28. It says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him through God, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later, then the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Where before we required an earthly high priest, a high priest that would need to atone for his own sin before he could even think about atoning for our sin, And only he could enter this holy of holies into the presence of God. Now we have a high priest that's work has been completed. That now sits down at the right hand of God and he intercedes on our behalf. This knowledge should bring about action in our life. We should be able to come boldly and confidently into the presence of God. As it says, with true hearts and full assurance of faith. We should stir up one another to love and good works. We shouldn't neglect gathering together, and we should encourage each other daily. The more that we understand and even begin to grasp the fullness of who God is, the more that we can grasp his holiness compared to our sinfulness, the more that we can understand the fullness of Christ's work, the more that we seek after the will of God, we should find ourselves in awe of these things. We should feel the full weight of our sin and the weight of the sacrifice that was provided to pay for it. We should desire to live in a way that is worthy of our calling. So it would be easy for us to come to this time of year and, again, speak of angels, speak of shepherds, speak of wise men, speak of a helpless babe in a manger while forgetting who that baby actually was and what he was here to do. Without the context of the entirety of Scripture, we miss the true meaning of the incarnation. We miss the fullness of God's grace and mercy. Without understanding sin, we cannot understand the depth of God's love for us. The fact of the matter is, we're all sinners. Romans chapter 9, or I'm sorry, chapter 3 says, What then? Are the Jews any better off? No, not at all. No human being will be justified in this sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We have all rebelled against a holy God. We were slaves to sin, having neither the desire nor the ability to seek after God. And if God is just, he must punish our sin. But God in his grace and his mercy withheld his righteous wrath for a time. Before the foundations of the world, he provided a way for us to be reconciled to him. And he made this way of salvation so that we can't brag about it. We can't give ourselves credit for it. It's through no work of our own but only through the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The incarnation, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus was the fulfillment of thousands of years of promises. Jesus being both fully God and fully man did what none of us could do ourselves. Just think about this for a minute. Every thought ever had by Jesus was perfect and was according to the will of God. Every deed, every action, every word, every prayer he prayed, every bit of his life perfectly aligned with the will of God. And through his willing sacrifice, he has taken away sins that he didn't commit, that we did, that separate us from God. Through his willing sacrifices, believers are given a new heart. We're freed from the slavery to sin. We're given faith that leads to repentance. And we're given new desires that that should help us seek out the things of God. Through his willing sacrifice, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. Christ one day promise to be made perfect and spend eternity in his presence. If you're here today and you're a believer, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus should be something that we meditate on daily, not just a single time in the year. It should be something that we celebrate and show thankfulness for daily. It should lead us to desire to know God more. It should lead us to spend more time in his word, to spend more time in prayer, to share the good news with others. And it should remind us every day that Christ is coming back. We do this weekly with the Lord's Supper. We'll do it here in a few minutes. And every time we do it, we proclaim the death of Christ until his return. But if you're here today and you've not placed your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, I would just simply call on you to repent and turn to Christ for salvation. If you have any questions about that, if you need someone to talk to, I would love to talk with you after the service, but don't leave here without considering the holiness of God and your sin. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that while we were still sinners, while we were in open rebellion, Lord, while we had no desire to seek after you, that you made a way to reconcile us to yourself, Lord. We thank you that your son left the glories of heaven, put on flesh, lived a life that we can't even imagine, and then died for our sins, Lord. We thank you for that. I pray as we gather with our families uh, in the coming week that for any of our families that don't know Christ Lord that you let this be as, uh, an opportunity to share the gospel with them to share the good news of what Christ has done for the families for believers in our families Lord I just pray that you would give us time to to sit and talk and meditate and pray with each other on the glories of your name. Bless the rest of our service, Lord. May it bring glory and honor to your name. In your name we pray, amen.